on a weekend when Max Verstappen needed to recover many points as he's uh, had multiple uh, failures so far early in this season to give Charles Leclerc a big points lead. Max Verstappen gets a win in the sprint race and also wins the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix in a Red Bull 1-2 after Charles Leclerc spins out in the race and loses track position while while his teammate Carlos Sainz has another nightmare weekend. Welcome to episode 190 of the Grid Grid Talk podcast. Uh, My name is Philip Matthew. I'm the host of the Grip Strip podcast. I'm filling in for Ruby Price, who's a little under the weather. We have a group effort here to make this show roll. Uh, So they called me in. Uh, I was going to be a guest. Now I get to be the host, so I don't have to talk as much. For a lot of people that listen to this show, that's probably a good thing. But either way, we'll uh, deal with that accordingly. Um, With me today, I have a great group uh, to go and carry us through. Uh, We have Tom Downey, host and contributor to the Everything F1 podcast. Hi, Phil. And Aaron Harper, the host and contributor, Five Red Lights podcast. How you doing, Phil? And we have Jawad from the Hit the Apex podcast. I feel you got this, man. All righty. Thank you for the support. I haven't had anything to drink yet, so it's I appreciate all the support here. Um, it's a little earlier for me than it is for you guys. Uh, so, yeah, we're um, before we get into the race itself, um, if you enjoy the podcast, we would love it if you take – Take five to leave us a five-star rating on Spotify or a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll shout out to you all who do and say thanks. And if you are one of the 74% of people who aren't yet subscribed to the channel, please consider helping us out. The Grid Talk channels, we're on YouTube or basically everywhere. Uh, please consider helping us out with a like and subscribe. I'm not prepared to go and read the five-star reviews, um, but... They'll be right here next in a couple of weeks' time since the Miami Grand Prix will be around. So it'll be uh, more more fun. So please listen to the preview of the Miami uh, Grand Prix since that's going to be a bundle of fun since they'll be driving around in a parking lot. Um, but speaking of uh, a parking lot with uh, one groove racetrack, we'll talk about Imola this weekend and the domination that is uh, Max Verstappen, the defending world champion. He um, came into this weekend. It, it had a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, had a lot of vibes of 1994 in that two races in Senna had no points and he had to come to um, Imola and do something qualified on pole and was on his way till what happened. Max Verstappen has won one race and two races was going to finish second and had fuel issues, engine issues in this place and he's given up a ton of points. He was over 50 points behind in the world championship, but I'll throw to Tom first. Max Verstappen with the new sprint rules gets eight points yesterday in the sprint. And today, albeit with a little bit of fortune in because of what happened with Charles Leclerc has now maximized points. He got a maximum points haul this weekend at at Imola to now cut into that big points gap as we move towards this next part of the championship with the new race at Miami. We'll have um, Catalonia 
and then Monaco. So a big uh, weekend for Max Verstappen, big weekend for Red Bull in general. Yeah, it was a huge weekend, and it was one that Max and Red Bull both needed. And Max, obviously, to somewhat reignite his championship fight because he was, you know, even after the sprints yesterday, he was still 40 points behind Leclerc. Um, he did, Max did benefit a bit from, well, obviously benefited a lot from the misfortune of Leclerc because just gave him that breathing room. But on the flip side, do I really think that Leclerc was going to overtake Max at P1? I don't. Um, he he may have gotten past Checo. I don't know, especially when when uh, when Leclerc forced Checo into an off. But as, as as soon as Max effectively learned the lessons he learned from the launch yesterday, and it was a bit of a case of role reversal because he got a pretty good start. Um, you know, he, he didn't wheel spin or miss, you know, have gear sync issues or anything. He, he got away cleanly. He got away just as he needed to do. As did Perez. Um, yeah, it was it was a perfect weekend, and especially given they're in a title fight with Ferrari and Leclerc to go into an Italian track. I, I know it's not Monza, but it's still Imola, which has which has huge significance in F one. Um, to for them to go there and snatch this from Ferrari. You know, it all started on Friday when Max put together that lap and then and then, you know, obviously they didn't get quite a final run at the end of Q3, but then yesterday, you know, Max overtaking Leclerc um, with, what, two, three laps to go at the end of the sprint and then today just sailing, pretty much sailing off into the sunset. Um, yes, you know, like we said, Leclerc had a bit of misfortune, but this is huge for Red Bull and for Max and the championship is well and truly on. And considering how the world championship was last year um, and the battle and how dramatic and how um, heart-wrenching it became at times, uh, this is where Formula One wants it to be. Uh, Charles Leclerc looks ordinary. Max Verstappen looks extraordinary. Like Like we all know, both of them are at that level and that's where we're going to be uh this whole year it's every every point is going to count there's 23 races so um i mean that's part of the deal you're going to have to make it count i mean right now the points is 27 points uh for charles leclerc as a lead over max verstappen going into the miami grand prix but right behind max verstappen is his teammate and the man who finished second sergio perez um aaron i mean a quiet weekend you know just typical kind of sergio perez kind of laying in the weeds taking the best of the best that he could get outside of of course you know getting that win but you're never going to pass your Red Bull's never going to allow him to pass Max Verstappen. But um, in this case, he really wasn't going to. Uh, he did what he had to do, gain maximum points, help them in the constructors, because obviously in the constructors' situation, it's not been easy for them either. But he's third in the world championship. He's only five points behind his teammate, and he's, on, and, and he's five points behind a surprising guy, which we'll talk about here momentarily. Um, but... A great work by Checo to maximize points for Red Bull here on a on a weekend that was uh, positive for them after some rough ones to start the year. Yeah, it was a perfect rear gunner performance from Checo today. He he did he did have the pace because obviously the Red Bull was probably 
the standout car around Imola this weekend. But he was never really going to match Verstappen in terms of consistent race pace and ultimate pace as well. He should have qualified higher on Friday, but the sprint obviously offered him up a chance to recover that, and he did. So to put it P3 and then nail the start was really important because considering what we'd seen yesterday with Leclerc getting ahead of the start, if Leclerc had got ahead of the start today, obviously it would have been a very different story. But it was very important that Perez got between Verstappen and, and Leclerc. And from then on, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Leclerc never really looked like he was going to get past. And despite that one little excursion across the grass, uh, Variante Alta, I never really thought Perez was under that much pressure. Even when Leclerc had him with the DRS, the Red Bull has enough down the straights. And it was just, he was just able to extract everything that he needed to. Um, I think if he'd, been, if he'd needed to go to the end on the mediums, Checo's your guy. He, he makes the tyres last longer than pretty much anybody. Um, but he, he nailed that opportunity to retake the, the position when Leclerc came out in the, uh, from the pit lane ahead of him. So overall, just a very solid performance from Perez. And that is exactly the sort of performance that Red Bull hired him for. Um, and now that he's comfortable within the car and the car is slightly more to his liking in terms of driving style, I wouldn't put it past him to pick up more wins this season. Uh, like you say, if Red Bull allow it, uh, he might need a little bit of fortune, but he's definitely there. He's on the pace. He's already taken a pole position. So that that victory this season or multiple victories, it's, it's there if he wants it. I think this next race is a perfect example of a place where he could possibly go and sneak through because it's a new track for everybody. Um, Monaco might be another one too. Uh, so it might be a good time for Checo to maybe impose, put himself into the play, uh, possibly, uh, to make uh, his uh, teammates sweat if they really want to see that. But somebody that uh, has had a interesting start to the year but has been trending upward, um, a great podium result, great weekend uh, in general for him is Lando Norris um, getting – uh, the podium, albeit 18 seconds behind uh, Sergio Perez, 34 seconds behind the winner. But McLaren, after the first two races of the year, Joad were out in the woods, and it didn't look very good for them in regards to their possibilities in this world championship and where they were going to finish, um, constructors, drivers, whatever. But now... These last couple of races, the McLaren team has recovered. They've looked much faster. They've had better pace on one lap pace. On these wet, dry conditions, it seemed like both drivers were able to compete. And Lando woke up and uh, had a great weekend. And getting a podium, a big deal here for him and the whole uh, McLaren organization uh, as they move on to this next part of the world championship. Yeah, and it's all come without uh, any significant upgrades yet either. So, like you said, you know, the first couple of races, they're out in the woods. But 
the last two races in Australia and in um, Imola now, we're starting to see that potential we saw back in Barcelona of the McLaren car. I mean, 18 seconds off the podium or whatever. I mean, a podium still a podium. And if you had said back in Bahrain whether they'd finish on the podium come round four, then, you know, we'd be laughing. So great result for Lando. Um, he capitalized again in the sprint like we saw last year. So they seem to do, him and his teammates seem to do really well there. And then um, at the start, you know, he got a good start. He got himself ahead of Leclerc. Leclerc obviously dropped a couple of places uh, behind Perez as well. But, you know, he got ahead temporarily. Then we knew that the Ferrari was quicker pace-wise. So he pretty much had a lonely race and was looking like he was going to pick up a solid fourth until we um, saw the Ferrari have its little moment towards the end of the race and then, yeah, to then inherit that podium, um, second podium for him in two years at this venue as well. So good result. And I just feel like it's kind of normal services resumed at McLaren where we see these excellent performances from Norris, you know, out driving the car where he can while his teammates kind of just <laughs> nowhere, which we'll get to a bit later, I'm sure. But, um, you know, this is the potential that we saw from Norris last year. And, I mean, you would think that they're only going to get better as the season goes on. The more that they learn about these cars, the more upgrades that they can bring. So I'm sure it won't be until Barcelona now we'll get all the teams bringing significant upgrades and McLaren definitely in a position where they can develop a lot quicker and, you know, smarter than uh, other teams in the midfield, let's say, for example. But, um, yeah, just, you know, seeing him up on the podium uh, was a happy result for any McLaren fan and I'm sure for the team as well who have uh, had to cop a lot of criticism and, you know, just the first couple of rounds where it was very difficult for them uh, to be able to get this result is a real boost for everyone. I'm sure back at the factory. Yeah, I think it's a boost in general for the whole McLaren effort. And that's not just in um, Milton Keynes, but here in the States, uh, considering how the IndyCar program hasn't exactly had the greatest start to the year either. Um so it'll be positive energy <clears throat> going into that. They'll have a busy weekend. They'll be at uh, Barber for the Indy cars next week. And then, of course, Miami for the uh, following week. So it'll be a lot of um, stuff going on. Paddle Award. We'll probably see a Paddle Award appearance at the Miami race as well. Woking. Sorry, Red Bulls. It's my fault, Tom. I'm mixing up all my towns um i I'm, I'm getting bad with that so i apologize i apologize for that right there be with the dying pygmies and new guinea man um with that we'll go to uh somebody who, who's uh, another british driver i'm not going to tell you where he's from because i obviously don't know where the teams are um somebody who's pulling stuff out of you know where um to make the most out of a situation which is not exactly the prettiest for Mercedes um, is George Russell. George Russell finishing fourth, of course, you know, with the fortune that we're going to talk about in regards to what happened to the points leader. But George Russell this year, I mean, I think the Bahrain race was a little bit rough for him. But ever since then, George Russell, I think, has been better than 
the seven time world champion, the 104 win, 103 win uh, legend that is Lewis Hamilton. I think he has been the better driver at Mercedes. And I say that, of course, as a fan of a certain driver, but George Russell has proven to be very capable, Tom. And to get the great start that he did today, which was something that he never was really known for when he drove at Williams, to be able to battle and keep a car that generally is not that good in a position to get a top five finish and get a fourth place uh, is a big deal. And he's fourth in the world championship. I mean, he's fourth in the world championship. He's only 10 points out of second. And that's after Max Verstappen scored 34 points today. Um, so, I mean, George Russell is doing uh, great work considering the circumstances that Mercedes have right now, which is not pretty, not even making it out of Q2 and qualifying on Friday and generally not making much of the sprint either. Yeah. Um, yeah. George Russell has been... <laughs> I don't want to say the surprise of the season, but given his relative performance to his teammate, and let's not forget who his teammate is, um, and given the relative performance of that car, to, to be in the points and to be in the top five every single race so far, and to do it largely on merit, yes, he's had a bit of help from others' misfortune. In Bahrain, he benefited from a couple of places, but he was still more or less there. And today, you know, he was running the P5, more or less, on merit, then got P4 thanks to Leclerc's um, misfortune. He did a great job of holding off Bottas, um, who I can't lie, I wanted to see Bottas pass him. I wanted to see you know, Bottas go past and give him the middle fingers you know, to sort of reminisce from last year, um, show him how to pass probably into turn one. Um, but um, but no, um, Russell has been really good. So, you know, you know, he's... Um, Again, he, he had a good day today. You know, he he like you said, Phil, he made a good start. Somebody he wasn't really known for in the Williams, whether that was him, whether it was a combination of him and the Williams, I don't know. It doesn't really matter anymore. Um, but yeah, but you know, he 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 got, he got off the line pretty well, given he was out in Q two again. Um, you know, you know, if if you'd have told us last year that George Russell is out, uh, sorry, that it, you know both Mercs are out in. Q2 and that they're they're battling with Haas on merit for for position and and it's and it's for sort of P6 P7 P5 whatever you know if you'd have told us that last year you, you know people would have fallen off their chairs laughing um, but yeah you, you know it's a, in some ways it's a shame I mean I'm perfectly honest I don't think it's a shame because Mercedes has been at the top since 2014. And we've seen just how far ahead of the pack they've been sometimes. Um, the rule change has slapped them a bit. Um, and, you know, you can see when that car goes down the straight, just how badly it's porpoising. You know, it, it looks like Russell's going to come out with a migraine or something because it looks like his head is going to rattle around inside that helmet. Um, but he's doing an outstanding job with the... Um, with the car he's got, you know, with the car underneath him. And he's not slagging off his team. Yeah, I think we, well, I mean, that's something we'll talk about in a little bit in regards to that particular driver. Um, 
you know, it's been a while for him to have to deal with a bad car. And I think they've tried to keep it in house and they're trying to do what they have to do. But George Russell is like, well, I'm in a big team. I know I'm going to be the guy eventually. And he's just keeping his head down. And he's like, well, I've driven bad cars my whole career in Formula One. So now I'm just in another bad car, just as a cooler paint scheme. Uh, That's literally what it is. And it's a bigger team. Um, But he knows he's the future leader. He's not a big talker. So he's going to kind of quietly go about his business. And in turn, I think it will endear him to the Mercedes group. and all the guys he gets to work with and men and women he gets to work with. Cause I think over time, over this season, they will make changes. They will improve. I would assume. How can you not when you're as big as they are? But I think George Russell's only going to get better from this, which considering what they're dealing with and he's able to do this, who knows what that really could mean as we get into the summer months. Uh, but great performance from George um, consolidating the Mercedes constructors uh, situation as well. Um, Tom brought him up there, Aaron. Um, um, Porridge, Valtteri Bottas, um, version 96.4, I think I said. Um, This version, I think, is working really well. Um, He's enjoying his time as a team leader at uh, Alpha Sauber. He's, the the car is good. Power unit's good. He's been qualifying really well. And he's racing as good as he has in a few years, uh, gets a gets a top five finish and um, an, a big haul of points while um, uh, his teammate uh, struggled. So um, big deal for Valtteri Botas. I'm sure he wanted to go and pass George Russell as Tom did and flip him off. But um, instead he went and um, kept, Cooler heads prevailed, and uh, he consolidated his points haul um, and uh, got some good points for Alpha as Alpha Romeo as they're battling right now with the likes of Haas, with the likes of um, Alpine, and some of these other teams in the midfield there. So great work by uh, Porridge uh, for top five. Yeah, however, this version of uh, Bottas is wired. It seems to be working very nicely. Uh, he's settled in to that team leadership role, which you'd expect he'd be ready for, given that he's now into his 30s. So, And he's spent a lot of time at a top team like Mercedes. But it seems to have given, given him a, a new lease of life. It's kind of how we all imagined Vettel going to Aston Martin would have been last year, but it didn't quite transpire like that. So for Bottas to be putting in these performances, we shouldn't be shocked by it. The thing that we should be surprised about is the fact that the Sauber is quite as good as it is. But if you if you give a driver of Bottas's calibre a half-decent car, like he proved when he was at Williams, he can deliver. So, yeah, he, he would have been very pleased with that performance. Obviously, I think there was a bit more of a personal agenda with him trying to overtake uh, Russell. But, like you say, he's a, he's a cool head. He's from Finland. It's fairly cold there. So uh, he, uh, he sort of, I think he wanted to go for that move, but he, he made sure he brought home those points. Uh, and there, I think there was a point where uh, the, the team radio for Bottas popped up and I just thought we were going to hear another rendition of uh, don't make any mistakes that, that caused Checo Perez to throw away a win. Uh, 
but um it was it was a quiet race but we we actually saw bottas overtake someone uh, at some point this weekend which was an improvement on last year so more good points for alfa romeo and bottas considering that uh, the teammate didn't score many uh, any points at all so yeah they can just continue their upward trajectory and keep building what is a very nice and tidy season so far yeah and they're i mean just looking at it as i mentioned they're in a battle with alpine alpha tori and haas it's a 10 point gap between the alfa romeo team and haas from fifth to eighth so the top two are in their own world mercedes is in their own space and mclaren's in their own space in third and fourth so right now the real battle is amongst those four teams and then the back two teams are in their own battle, which um, became one now because of what we're going to talk about here in a few moments' time. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about the top of the constructors and the top of the world championship, and that's the world championship leader, uh, world championship leader Charles Leclerc, or Charles Eclair, or however many different ways they pronounce it, because I was going to get into a Paul DeResta pronunciation of Valtteri Bottas's teammate, but I don't want to be that guy. Um, he should just stick to driving or just being the analyst that they go to once every like half an hour or whatever on the side. But Charles Leclerc there, Jawad, he had, he didn't get the chance to make the lap that he wanted to in qualifying and ended up qualifying where he did. He made the start yesterday, but wasn't able to hold um, for stopping off. In this case today, he wasn't able to make the start to get past them. Was up there, gave the battle that they've had all year, continued. But the first chinks in the armor came out for uh, Charles Leclerc. Obviously, the track conditions probably assisted in that, trying to push, trying to make the most out of a situation. But Charles Leclerc um, giving up points, those are points you don't really want to be given up when it comes to how close this world championship was a year ago. Um, he's had a great start to the year. I know he wanted more out of this weekend being a theoretical home race, but for Charles Leclerc, sixth place finish here at uh, Emilia Romagna Grand Prix is not what I think he was looking for by any stretch of the imagination. Chucky boy, Chucky boy, Chucky boy. Um, I guess regardless of whether it's a home race for Ferrari and whatever pressure that entails um, on them, I guess we've got to remember that this is a marathon, not a sprint. And, you know, having that big lead in the championship now, not quite cut in half, but, you know, a chunk taken out thanks to the sprint points, the extra points they get from there. Um and yeah, chinks starting to show in the armor. Like when that happened, it was just, you know, moment where you put your your head in your hands and say, is this, are we looking at, you know, a Sebastian Vettel type capitulation um, potentially happening? You know, Ferrari, it's so hard to trust Ferrari with, when it comes to a championship. I mean, this is just after, you know, watching them fall over themselves for many years now since, you know, they last won back in 07. Um, and 
you know, their car could be bulletproof. It can be amazing in, you know, 75% of the tracks we go to, and then there will be a couple of tracks they struggle. But he just needed to realize, okay, this is not my weekend. It's not my race. Let's just cut our losses and get the trophy in third. It's still a good amount of points. I'm going to be still leading the championship with a healthy lead rather than taking the risks, potentially damaging the car, you know, the power unit as well gets thrown into the equation. Um, And it could have been much worse. You know, he's lucky that that um, incident at Varianti Alta, he only brushed the wall. They just changed the front wing and he was on his way again, clawed back some positions to finish sixth, which was good. But if it ended up being a terminal problem, um, that's zero points for him. And that could have been much worse. So that's where, you know, I guess we talked about Leclerc's maturity and, you know, how great he was in the opening races that, you know, he doesn't have that erratic style that he did perhaps in 2019 when he won his first couple of races. But (laughs) I guess it gets thrown out the window when you look at that performance, because it just seemed like he was desperate to, you know, whether to get the fastest lap point or to get that half chance on Perez to finish second um, and you can't really show that when you're going to be fighting for a world championship and especially on a weekend when, you know, Red Bull pretty much took every all the points that were on offer. You know, they got the fastest lap, fastest in the sprint um, and then winning the race too. You know, Verstappen is just going to hoover up those points like we saw last year. So the onus is on Leclerc not to make those mistakes and um, the mistake we saw this weekend, I mean, it, it yeah, it, it was pretty bad. And, you know, for their sake, they better not do that sort of thing again or he better be a lot more composed about it because, like you say, if if the points get away from him, um, you know, when we get into the crucial part of the season later, then, you know, he can't rely on the other team tripping over themselves because, you know, they've lost points, uh, which, you know, they could have easily had by finishing third. Yeah, that's something that we're um, going to have to look at as we go on in um, in the season. And it's something that we have to look at in regards to um, good. I got that right. Um, That we have to see with Charles Leclerc because he's never been in this position. It's one thing when you talk about Lewis Hamilton, it's one thing when you talk about um, now Max Verstappen who, um, who are, who have had these battles and some of the other drivers throughout the grid that have had it. But um, when it comes to, um, Charles Leclerc, this can't be um, a regular occurrence. Um, you can't give up that many points. You can't have those kind of performances because Red Bull always, they're smelling blood and they're always going for it. And when there's any level of weakness, they're going to pounce on it and they're going to go and talk about how they're not the best or something. They'll come up with some BS that they'll say on, on TV, but in the end they are. And they are the defending world driver champions and they were there with a chance to win the constructors as well. So it's something we will look at as we go on through the rest of this season. Miami, of course, um, the next race. Um, so I'm going to go and combine here. Um, Tom, I'm going to go with 
Yuki Sonoda getting some points here this weekend. It seems rare. Um, so he was only five seconds off of uh, Charles Leclerc. Um, he had a gap on the person he finished behind. Um, it's usually the other way around. Pierre Gasly's the one in the points and um, uh, Yuki Sonoda's out. But it is a race that's a track that Yuki Sonoda has more experience at than others. Of course, it's his second year in Formula One. But um, solid run for him, a nondescript kind of weekend for Pierre Gasly. Unfortunately, he can't carry the team every week. So I guess um, they just swapped roles here this weekend at AlphaTauri in their battle in the midfield. Yeah, it was a good, it was a good, really good weekend for Sonoda. Well, good. Well, a good Sunday, Friday. Let's not go there. Um, but Saturday, he made a, a few places. Um, but then today, he, uh, yeah, he did really well. You know, because he, he started what P sixteen, I think he started. It was it was P fifteen, P sixteen, I think. He was towards the back. I know that because they both went out in Q one in uh, on Friday. Um, but yeah, but uh, Sonoda to actually get up into the points. It was a really, really, really good day for him. You know, he, uh, you know, like you said, Phil, Gansy always used to carry that team, and I was, I was pretty critical of Sonoda last year. Yes, he has a bit more experience in, um, in uh, or at Imola, but he still had to, you know, he still had to put the performance in. And they say that rain is a great sort of equaliser in F one. Um, Sonoda drove a really mature race today. Um, he put in some great defensive moves. I, I can't remember for, for the life of me who won. I think it was Vettel. Um, it might have been Vettel when uh, there was someone trying to overtake him. I, I can't remember who it was now because I was because uh, I was sort of because I was sort of there while I was sitting there thinking, "Wow, Sonoda's actually keeping him out, and he's not put it in the wall, which he did last year." Um, the same wall that Leclerc put it in, um, but um, but yeah, he, he 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 picked up some good points. He really worked his way up the grid. Um, it was quite funny when when he's um, when he he, he got past. Oh, I can't remember who he got past towards the end. Um, possibly Magnussen. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but he, but his uh, his 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 engineer came on the radio and and at first I thought oh Yuki shouting at me then but no Yuki was actually celebrating quite loudly and I thought that was that was quite funny um he, he's he's a bit of a I was gonna say darling of F1 that's not quite right I was gonna say baby of F1 that's not quite right um but he's like the sort of like little lovable guy in F1 that is sort of like funny in his own quirky come sort of like unintentional way. Um, I, I I do like Sonoda and he is coming good. Today proved that. He looks a lot more mature. He looks a lot more composed. He looked a lot more relaxed in the car. He's putting in some great defensive moves. He, he looked, he just looked like someone who was really beginning to get to grips with the car. I mean, yes, you know, he knows him a bit more, you know, he, you know, this is the, um, this is the track, I think, where he, he did his first test for Alfred Towery back at the turn of 2020. Um, and you know, you know, he you know, he's raced here in his junior career, all the rest of it, but he is doing well now. Um, comprehensively outscored Gasly. Well, you know, he scored points, Gasly didn't end off. Um, he qualified better than Gasly. What more can you say? You know, he he, he had a really good weekend, well, really good Sunday. 
Yeah, I mean, he was he went from 16th to 12th in the sprint, went from 12th to 8th in the race. So um, was progression upward, progression after a nightmare qualifying session. Gasly's weekend was nowhere, unfortunately. But when you consider what Gasly means to the team more times than not, um, I guess one of one week throwaway, but we will see. The reality, though, is in the discussion we're having with the midfield, every point is going to count between fifth and eighth. And we're getting into a lot of these drivers here. So when only one of the cars scores, it's going to put more of a focus on who didn't. Um, another, another one that we have to go and look at in regards to um, point scoring, and it's uh, it's Al, uh, Aston Martin, uh, Stroll F1. Um, I don't know how many different names you can come up with that team. But Aaron, uh, Sebastian Vettel has had uh, quite an interesting start to his 2022 season um, through COVID, through crashes and engine problems. But this weekend, we kind of saw the glimpses of what made him a four-time world champion and over 50 Grand Prix wins. I'm carrying a car that probably is an anchor into the points. And um, his teammate even showed up uh, too. So eighth and 10th for Aston Martin, uh, they got five points that puts them ahead of Williams. So now they're not on the bottom of the table in regards to the constructors. A big weekend for them. Sebastian Vettel, big weekend for him as well um, to make finally get a little bit of momentum uh, in for his season after what has been a brutal, brutal start of the year based on the car, based on everything going on over there at Aston Martin. Yeah, it's been a lot of negativity surrounding that team this season for one reason or another, not because they're a bad team or bad people, just things haven't been quite going their way. And Australia was pretty wretched. I think that, I think between Seb and Lance that, they crashed the car four or five times, which is that is unheard of. I mean, that, that's Mazepin levels of destruction. So for them to have just a clean weekend, to be honest, and we hardly saw Sebastian on the TV feed, which is kind of nice, not because I dislike the guy, but it just shows that there's nothing going on that means that they should be on, like shown on the screen. And we saw a little bit of battling with, uh, Lance and Sonoda but for Seb he just needed to get mileage and the sprint weekend actually probably helped him with that because he would have gone straight into qualifying and needed to perform in the car and obviously wet so equalizing the conditions a bit and he outperformed what that car probably should be capable of struggled a bit in the sprint but then you take that information into the race and again it's just extra learning for him because he just hadn't had the time in the car and that showed in Australia so a much smoother, um, much more accomplished weekend for Seb and for the team as a whole. And they picked up some points. So, you know, just even if they hadn't picked up any points, it would have been valuable information. But the fact that they've picked up five points is, you know, very good reward for them. And considering that the car hasn't been very drivable in the first three races, it looked a lot better this weekend. It porpoised a lot less than they seemed a lot closer to the midfield pace. So maybe that midfield is about to grow in terms of competitive nature. 
Yeah, they have a lot of they have a little bit of ground to make up in regards to that, but I wouldn't be surprised based on the amount of funding, based on the amount of things going on there, the Silverstone team that they'll be able to go and uh, move up over time. Uh, the team that they're immediately behind is the Haas team right now, and uh, Kevin Magnuson, another points finish, a solid weekend was qualified qualified practiced very well on friday qualifying pace was great this version of kevin magnuson uh is definitely the one that i think most a lot of people was thinking was going to be in formula one many years ago uh and we have him now so haas is the beneficiary of that more points uh two two points for them uh considering where they were um, the last couple of years, last few years, up and out in the back um, to be able to score points and have pace is a good thing for the series, um, for us here in the United States to see the Haas team actually being being relevant is nice. And Kevin Magnuson doing a great job after he spent time in IMSA last year um, is uh, cool, even did an IndyCar race. But um, great job by by him, Jawad, uh, to get more points to keep them up there in that midfield battle. On the flip side, uh, his teammate Mick Schumacher spun out twice, struggled this weekend. Not one of his best performances, I would say, um, of his career. And um, probably looking for more out of Mick Schumacher here as the uh, season goes on. They need him to score points at the end of the day. As you mentioned earlier, when you got when you have such a close battle and every position is money in the end of the year, every point is going to make a difference and it matters even up top, but really here. And you need both drivers scoring. And Mick just really was not in his best, not in his best form uh, while his teammate was able to consolidate things for the team. Yeah, it was a great weekend for Magnussen again. And like you said about him, this version of him that we're seeing this year is something that, you know, we wanted would have wanted to see years ago um, when he made his debut for McLaren and then that year that he had with Renault when they came back in 2016. Um, but, yeah, no, it's it's good. It's more of a... I don't want to say mature, but, you know, it's more composed. We're seeing the hard racer. We're seeing the Viking, which is what um, a lot of people love about him. It's, you know, so much nicer to see him in the car than, you know, uh, what's-his-face last year, for example. But solid performance from him this weekend. Even in the race, he made a good start from eight. He was as high as fifth battled with George Russell a little bit, but eventually got overtaken by the Mercedes and still finishing in the points is a good uh, result for Kevin. Um, Mick, though, it was a little bit disappointing. He started the race in 10th and, you know, given the changeable conditions and whatnot, there was that thought beforehand i thought you know possibly this could be the first race we saw we see him score points it's an eventuality it's going to happen at some point this year but like you say phil he's got to really be there to contribute as well because 
you know, it's not like Haas are going to be chasing themselves at the back of the uh, Constructors' Championship this year. They're actually in the thick of the battle with um, teams like Alpine, AlphaTauri, Aston Martin and all that. So they're going to need the second driver to be picking up the pieces as well, scoring the points where they can. Um, but, yeah, just a bit of a mistake-laden race for Mick. So hopefully, you know, he can learn from this and, you know, be uh, a bit more attentive in future races when the conditions are like this. And it's going to be tough next time out, you know, at a new track in Miami as well. Um, another race of attrition I'm expecting. So, yeah, the possibility is going to be there every race for them to to be able to score points. So um, they're just going to have to capitalise when they can. And it's good to see that Magnussen can do that in this car. So, um, yeah, really good for, for those guys. Yeah, and it's with the eventuality of all the, the upgrades, I figure, that will be coming, as we've discussed earlier, uh, here in Spain in a few weeks' time. We have to, every point you can get right now is key towards what might end up happening later on in the season. Uh, some of these teams that have really been on the back foot may be able to make a make a charge or make a progression, while some of these teams that have started out very hot may start moving back. So these points right now are key. So Miami is going to be that last um, uh, race before that. And you consider it's a, quote, street circuit. It won't be anywhere near as tight or ridiculous as the Saudi track, but it'll, and maybe Baku in certain areas, it'll actually be a little more open. So hopefully um, it won't lead to as many horrible incidents. Um Nobody wants to see that um, and hopefully be a cleaner race. But, you know, it is a street circuit. So, you know, there's liable, liable for full safety cars and the whole bit there. Um, Tom, I'm going to throw to you because you always have great takes on certain drivers. Um, Alexander Albon finished, uh, finished 11th just outside the points, trying to get that second point for Williams. He's, he's been solid yet unspectacular, kind of like Alex Albon is. Um, I mean, uh, he's, uh, I read that he's dating some uh, LPGA Tour golfer, so I'm, he's very happy in his personal life. He's happy to be back in Formula One. And uh, he's doing what he can with what theoretically might be the worst car on the grid, or one of the worst cars on the grid, finishing 11th, while um, his teammate does what he usually does, which is be nondescript um, and not do anything of great significance. So um, I'll uh, let you talk about the Williams team here, Tom, um, before we move on to the next person. That's probably a full group discussion. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've actually, I'm actually a bit full of praise for Albon today. Um, I just see the look of shock in Phil's eyes there. Um, no, he, yeah, no, no um, you, you know, P11 and Williams, where only two cars were tired, good going. That is really good going, especially given his teammate was only above Mick Schumacher and Daniel Ricciardo. I'm looking at it here. Um, and the only reason, the only reason he, he's ahead of those two is because Ricciardo had to pit for a new nose on the first lap. And Mitch Schumacher uh, copied his old teammate and spun it around like Britney Spears. Um, so, you know, so, so yeah, Albon, well done. Um, 
I read, uh, I heard that Williams actually have actually put less paint on the car and they've removed some stickers to make it lighter. Um, it goes to show the fine details that they go to in F1. It's, it's literally grams like that. I thought Albon in the Williams actually looked a lot more competitive. Um, I don't know if they brought any upgrades or not. Uh, also, I don't really care um, because, to be fair, it's Williams and it's just, yeah, cool. Um, they're sort of just there. They sort of like exist. Um, but no, um, you know, me ribbing aside, seeing seeing Alban right up in, well, sorry, you know, almost in the points, but right up there in the mix. And look at some of the names he's ahead of as well. Let's not forget that. In in what is, let's be fair, the worst or second worst car on the grid because it's either them or the Astons. But both Astons scored points this weekend. So I don't know, take your pick. Um, no, I'll... Alban did well. He, he was Danny was having some good some good ding dongs. Didn't see an awful lot of it, but he was always there. You know, he was always right up with them. It's not like he was sort of just trailing round at the back and sort of just driving his own race. He was looking to get moves. He's looking to get. You know, he was he's he's putting a look in on stroll several times. I'd have liked to have seen him score points. Unfortunately, he didn't. Um, but. You know, but 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 to, to come from P eighteen on the grid up to, up to P eleven in that Williams is good going. Uh, you know, you know, you know. I mean, he he almost like Hamilton for God's sake in a Williams. And I know the Mercedes isn't that good this year, blah, blah, blah. but you know, Hamilton's not just going to go. But of course, sir, please come through. You know, he, you know he's going to make it difficult for him. Um, he got past Gasly. You know, we saw. Um, you know, we saw how. You know, we saw what Gasly was like when he was defending against Hamilton. So, and we saw Albon holding off Gasly for for a bit as well. Yeah, he, I I thought he had a really really good race. Can I go in on Latifi? That was the reason why I wanted you to talk about Williams. So there okay, go. right. So I can I can talk about all of them. All right. <clears throat> oh, Nicholas, where do we begin? <laughs> You're just like furniture, aren't you? You're just there in the way. Um, you know, you just... I've tried to give Lucifer the benefit of the doubt, but he's just... You know, as Dan Tickton said, Scooby-Dooby-Doo, Lucifer is poo. I think he had a point. Um, he's just... He's just... You know, he was never spectacular in F2. Yeah, he was decent, but he was there quite a while. That's never normally a good sign of what's to come in F one, um, but just but you know, it's just if if his teammate is able to do that with the car, then he should be able to uh, you know he 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 sh- the TV should be able to do better, um, you, you know he should at the very least be fighting with the likes of Guan Yu Zhou. But I, I I looked at the timing charts; he was nowhere. He was absolutely nowhere. You know, just trundling around on his own. I mean, we didn't see an awful lot of him on coverage because why would you want to? Let's be fair. He's a nice guy. Don't get me wrong. You know, he brings, what, $30 million, I think, or rubles or whatever to the team. Um, But William said they don't need Latifi for his money anymore. And if they really want to be competitive, especially in a cost cap era, 
they really have to question or look at who's going to be alongside Alvin next year because they cannot, they cannot go on with just one driver who is potentially able to get points. Because when the opportunity presents itself, they need two drivers who are going to be able to, to, to go and say, yeah, I'm going to take points. I'm going to grab this. I'm going to grab that, all, all the rest of it. Look at Alban last week. You know, Yes, there was a bit of a strategy master masterclass in, in that, but he legit held out for points. He almost had points today. You know, the, the Williams is not as inherently bad as a car as he makes it seem. But we're just not seeing any improvement from him. He's not getting quicker. He's not getting better in quality. Could I do a better job? Obviously not. Look at me. I wouldn't even fit in an F1 car. And if I did, you'd have to get a, you'd have to get a fire crew to get me out. But, but you know, you know, F1 has such a place in motor racing and such a place just in sport in general. It's like there are so many different levels of motorsport. But you say to someone, "What you say to them? Tell me your motorsport series." I go Formula One. And then after that, they'll probably go Le Mans, or they'll say um, MotoGP or NASCAR. The po- my point is, he is racing in the pinnacle, the creme de la creme of single seaters, and he's been here for three years. And this is his third season, and he is still at the back of the grid. I know Williams are not going to be at the front. I know they're not, they've not done a house this year. They're not helped by the Mercedes power unit, which is something I never thought I'd say in the turbo hybrid era. But when Albon has got points in only his third race back in F1 after a year out and is one position off points today and was still fairly close to getting Stroll, and the TV is the only reason he's ahead of two drivers is because they've spun or has to crash and had to pit. It's not good enough. And his days are numbered. That's exactly what I wanted. So um, I thank you for that, Tom. Um, that's uh, I figure, you know, I, I don't have the energy to go into Nicholas Latifi. I don't even do it on my own show because he's that irrelevant, but he is basically since Egghead is gone, um, theoretically with his buddy from Canada in the Aston Martin, probably the worst driver on the grid. And um, when you've been three years and your teammate has routinely beaten you to a pulp, like George Russell did for two years and we see where he is now. And now Alexander Albon coming back from driving touring cars and occasionally doing or doing sim work and then doing uh, an occasional test here and there, but driving GT3 cars and in his third race back getting a point and in his fourth race having a chance in a battle, which probably is going to be worth, you know, 10, 20, 30 million dollars, whatever it is in the, in the real, in real talk. And you have the likes of, Logan Sargent, per my personal bias aside, and other people in the Williams fold, you know, the, you know, Jamie Chadwick, who may never get a legitimate opportunity, who knows, but 
at some point, yeah, you have to consider that. Um, in, and especially how tight things are in Formula One. But I think this next one, I, I kind of want to do this as a group one um, because it is somebody who is as big as he is. Uh, Sir Lewis Hamilton finished 13th, a lap down, and was generally irrelevant the entire weekend. It, it gave me vibes of 2009. He made mention of 2009 um, when McLaren completely biffed the new rules regulations and their car was so bad it couldn't get out of Q1. Well, they couldn't get out of Q2, um, albeit there was multiple accidents and nonsense that went on, but they weren't going to get there. Lewis had no pace. He couldn't make any moves. Uh, uh yeah, I, I kind of combined that with uh, Yuki Sonoda, but we'll we'll get to him in a minute. It's okay. It's Pierre Gasly. He can wait. Um, the fact is, um, uh, Lewis Hamilton didn't really move up all weekend, and he was not a happy happy boy. Um, I people get pleasure in listening to him whine on the radio. Um, I would say that. Um, there's certain other people that are up there that they play their radio and they whine too. And um, nobody says anything about that or really doesn't make as many big deal about it, but it is what it is. It's not good times. I mean, and here's another thing. And as we mentioned earlier, George Russell looks all right. I mean, granted the car is a piece of crap, but the fact is George Russell seems okay. And he's not like, this is a thing where they got George Russell for this reason. Not, I don't think they believe the Mercedes was going to go and make a, 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 a turd on wheels, but they did. And they're like, well, if we have Valtteri Botas, he's going to be out driving Formula 2. And then if we have Lewis Hamilton, he's going to be compromised. Well, we have a guy that's literally drove, drove a brick for, for two years in F1. He'll be fine. And he has been. Um, but Lewis Hamilton, I tell you, um, it's it. there have been great world champions that have had unceremonious ends to their career. Um, you know, and, you, you know, that's that's kind of in do we it, my thing is, I guess I'm putting this to the panel. Um, first, I'll go with Aaron, Jawad, Tom. Um, what is is this a possibility where 2009 with McLaren, they're able to make the upgrades. Lewis will get back to being what Lewis has been basically his entire career. Or is it too early to really say that this is the beginning of the end of Lewis Hamilton as we know it as the great, I mean, he's still a great champion, one of the greatest ever. That's not going away. But is this the start of where we see the downturn of Lewis Hamilton in Formula One um, after what has been uh, this and Saudi uh, were two of the worst performances I've seen Lewis Hamilton put in his entire career. And I've been watching him since, you know, GP2. So it's it's all to see this is it's mind numbing in certain ways, but it's, it's, it's sad in other ways and it provides pleasure to many people too, but I'm going to put it out to you guys. 
what are your thoughts on this weekend and what Lewis, the whole thing about Lewis uh, and, and Mercedes and their whole deal? I think it's too early to, to speculate about whether Lewis will retire or if this is his powers on the way. And I think he's as good as he's ever been. Just his equipment is substandard. Um, regarding the possibility of it being a 2009 McLaren sort of vibe, there's a possibility. The Mercedes isn't, I don't think it's as slow as that McLaren was. It's just very patchy in the way it's set up and the window in which it needs to operate. Um, I remember the McLaren in 09 was, it was just a dog. You, you couldn't wring any sort of lap time out of it until they updated it. And then all of a sudden the car transformed. I think this Mercedes has potential, um, obviously with the no pods concept, but just the way Formula One is at the moment, it's very fast in terms of the amount of races so if you're behind, you don't actually get that much time to necessarily go through the data and there's all the, the budget caps. And there's so many things that are just working against Mercedes at the moment, which some may say is unfair, but that's just the way it is. And Mercedes will accept that and they'll move forward. And I'm sure they will sort this car out to a point where it is somewhat competitive and it will become a baseline for next year. And if they come out with something amazing next year, we can look back at now and go, well, look how much they learn. Yeah. What are your thoughts, look, Ryan? Yeah, look, it's, you know, too early to say that it's, um, uh, it's too early to hit panic stations or panic buttons and all that sort of thing. Uh, you know, you look through the history of the sport and the great teams who have, you know, dominant eras and um, have had sustained periods of success for a long time, there is eventually a um, an end to that as well, not saying that this will be the end for Mercedes and whatnot. Um, sometimes other teams just do do a better job, you know, who we didn't say that about Red Bull back in 2013, for example, when they won their fourth consecutive constructors championship and then, you know, Ferrari in the early 2000s, etc. cetera. But um, yeah, it's too early to say whether it is, you know, a disaster. Like it certainly looks like that at the moment with the results they've got. I mean, it was pretty uninteresting watching Hamilton, repeatedly being shown on the broadcast today being stuck behind Gasly, being unable to pass him. I think, you know, it would have been more interesting to watch, um, you know, Albon, for example, um, trying to get in the points or whatever. But, yeah, you know, I think a team as good as Mercedes um, who've had such great success and they're, they're just their culture is so used to winning that, you know, it seems like it's, uh, you know, a situation where everyone's panicking because they're not used to this where they haven't gone this long without a win or, you know, being on pole and podiums and all that sort of thing. So I think it's going to be a real character building kind of, um, you know, few races or if it's for the whole year, let, let it be for the whole year, character building year where, they have to now show 
us how great they are, even on the days where they are not in the position to to fight for the world championship and whatnot. You know, there's no reason um, making these dramatic, you know, radio messages or, you know, oh, you know, um, we're not in the championship. Just, you know, get on with it, you know, and I'm sure behind the scenes they are doing that sort of thing. But, yeah, you know, if it's not going to be their year, that's fine. Let's do better next year. And also let this build us as a team because, you know, ever since Toto Wolf came to the team, for example, back in 2013, they've won races. You know, then they went into the 2014, the hybrid era, and they've been they've won all the championships since. So they've not really had a time unless you look back to, you know, 2010 when, you know, they first became the Mercedes Works team where um, they've had really, really bad times, you know, and I'm sure that a lot of the, like, the key personnel in the team are different to what it was back then, but perhaps, you know, people at the factory and whatnot are the same. Um but yeah, you know, I think it's it's a bit of an overreaction to to you know talk this much about Mercedes, of course, because they're the champions and whatnot. Lewis Hamilton, seven-time world champion, that you know everyone's so used to seeing him at the front and winning. It's a bit refreshing not having to you know talk about them every weekend um, as having won and whatnot, but. Also, I'm sure they're going to pull through um, at some point, whether it's this year with some upgrades, as we've said. Barcelona, everyone's got a lot of big upgrade packages coming. Or if they decide to cut their losses and say, let's focus on 2023, um, you know, there's not much they can do on the power unit side, obviously, with those um, paying it's frozen until the next rule cycle. But they definitely can do a lot of work on their chassis. And, you know, with James Allison there still as well, I have no doubt that they can turn things around. How about you, Tom? Uh, I don't really have an awful lot to add, to be honest. Everything everything that Aaron and Jared have already said sort of just echoes what I was going to say um, or what, I, what I'm thinking. You know, we're, before races in, uh, yeah, the Mercedes is not a very good car. Uh, I think um, I think you lads hit the nail on the head when you said Mercedes are not used to not winning, or they are. Excuse the double negative. Let me rephrase. They are used to winning, so they don't know how to be when they're not winning. You'd have thought they'd have had some experience of that with Bottas, but evidently not. Um, <laughs> I had to get with it, um, but yeah, there's very much a to the changing of the guard going on in F1. Um, they'll probably get the car to a point where it's reasonable, but the, but they'll be wary of, of the cost cap. And if they get to, say, I'd say over half or coming close to two-thirds of the way into the season, and they realise, oh, this car's really not going anywhere, then by that point, I'd imagine that they'll, they'll just say, Do you know what, stuff it, we're just going to focus resources on next year. Because... You know, if they get to a point where where it's just just hypothetically, say, say they get to a point where where it's, well, we're not going to catch I don't know McLaren in P three and constructors, but we're not going to lose position to say Haas in P five. Just a, just as a, just as an example, um, there's not an awful lot of point 
for them focusing resources onto something where they're not going to get that money back through additional positions in the championship and therefore prize money. So they're also going to have a cutoff point. They're going to be thinking about next year. We know this. But they're also going to be um, they're, they're also going to be looking at what the fundamental issues are with the car. Uh, they're going to be looking at what Ferrari are doing, what Red Bull are doing. They're going to be looking at I don't know even what Haas are doing. They're going to be looking at what, what everybody's doing, and, and they're going to be you know that the Mercedes will make it work. Okay, look, F one has some of the brightest engineering minds around, some of the absolute pinnacles of of engineering and and sort of like just knowledge and experience, all the rest of it. There's a reason it's the top. Mercedes are going to be all right. They will. It's not, you know, it's not, yeah, it's not a great year for them. It's a pretty woeful year. But if you look at the standards that they've set for themselves since, I'd say since 2013, this is the first time in almost 10 years that they've gone, oh, heck, we need to do something. So if, it, you know, if, if any, Mercedes fans out there thinking, oh, you, you know, you're sort of ringing the bell saying, this is the end, this is the end. It's not the end. Far from it. It's a blip. And Mercedes will learn from this. They'll, they'll gather some experience, all the rest of it. It's a learning curve for them. Yes, it hurts. How do you think I feel being a Red Bull fan? <laughs> you know, especially from like 2014 on through to last season, basically. I feel your pain. Um, it's not nice. I know. Trust me. But Mercedes will sort it. Whether it's going to be this season, whether it'll be next season, they'll be all right. They, 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 they just will. It's what Mercedes do. As for Hamilton, um, well, you know, he's not going anywhere this season. Um, his contract runs out end of next year. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him come into next year, see what the car's like. If it turns out it's a dog again, then he might call it a day. Um, Phil, you said earlier about some some drivers who are champions then sort of almost fade into obscurity. I mouth to myself, yeah. Vettel. Vettel. Because I'm sure that's who we were all thinking of when you said that. Um, I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's it's almost sad to see how that's happened. And as big a Max fan as I am, I don't want that. I don't want that to happen to anyone. I don't want that to happen to anyone. And I really don't want it to happen to Hamilton. And I genuinely mean this. I really do mean this. I don't want it to happen to Hamilton. And I'll tell you for why. That sounded really Welsh. Um, he is an icon of the sport. He's an icon of F1. He is set and broken more records than, than, than you know than I've had hot dinners or whatever, and I've had a lot of hot dinners. Um, you know he's got seven world championships. He won, you know, 2014, 2015, and then twenty seventeen through to twenty twenty. Right? What a feat! He got more pole positions with Mercedes than Schumacher did in his entire career. He's got over hundred race wins. He's won more or less one out of every three races he's ever entered. He started in F1 when I started in comprehensive school. I think that's middle school for, for you, Phil. So I was 13. I was 12 going on 13 when he entered F1 because he entered in 2007. And I was, yeah, I was, I was 
in the middle of my first year of comprehensive school. I'm now 27, going on 28, and he is still in F1. And it's not like he's faded into obscurity. Hamilton deserves to retire on his terms. And I just hope that when, when, when the day does come, because it is going to come at some point, I just hope that he can go out on that it's his decision and that it's not, it doesn't have an asterisk next to it where people are saying, oh, you retired because the car's rubbish or whatever. So it's going to be, obviously, it's going to be his decision. And I just hope that when he retires, that's how it goes. I figure that's what it'll be. I mean, Vettel, there's Ross, KK Rosberg. I mean, there's a few people that were out there. I mean, I was, I, I would think Nelson PK, but he won. And his next last year of his career, I think he even was one in 91 as well before he left. So it wasn't like he was obscure. Nigel came back in 94 and filled in and won races, but then he couldn't fit in the McLaren. Um, and then um, there's other people that came back, went back, like back and forth. But yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's a question when you see a performance like that. It's just out there. Figured we'd go and discuss it. I know it's early. Uh, Mercedes will come back. How far back that is? They're third in the like in all of this too. Let's let's be honest about it. They're they're third in the constructors, and they got you know they got thirty point thirty one points on McLaren. So there there is that. Even with a car that's an absolute dog. So and George Russell's making the most out of it. So it's something that we will see. Um, the guy who was battling was uh, Pierre Gasly. Um, so, Aaron, I'll throw to you. Um, we mentioned it during the Yuki Sonoda part where, you know, Yuki basically swapped roles with him this weekend. It was not a great weekend for him, especially when you consider a lot of the talk that's going on with Pierre Gasly um, in regards to his career and his future. But, I think, you know, when you're coming with those teams that are in that midfield, you expect them to have good days and bad days. I guess this is just a bad weekend for Pierre Gasly. Yeah, it was a bit of an anonymous weekend, really, and he was thoroughly outperformed by his teammate. They both fell out of Q1, which wasn't really altogether surprising. But what was surprising was the progress that Sonoda made in the sprint um, and that the Gasly did not make either in the sprint or in the Grand Prix today. He did, well, I say, I say a good job. He, he, uh, he stopped Hamilton getting past him by making sure he constantly had DRS off of Albon, but he wasn't fast enough to pass Albon. So the pair of them were just stuck. Um, yeah, there's not, there's not really a lot else I can say about Gasly because apart from getting in the way of Hamilton, he was just... There, there was never really ever uh, a threat from him in terms of points or, yeah, anything. It was, it was a bit of a dull weekend for Pierre, really, because the AlphaTauri is just, the performance isn't there, strangely enough, because it's, it's, they take a, a lot of parts from Red Bull, not as many as Haas do from Ferrari, but they take enough. So you would assume, logically, that the if the Red Bull is good, that the Alpha Tauri will be strong too. But it just hasn't worked out this that way this year. And it was just one of those weekends for Pierre where, you know, you're driving a midfield car and you don't get the best out of it. 
That's sometimes it happens, and it's been the other way around. But in this case, Pierre Gasly just had a throwaway. Um, maybe he'll be able to party in Miami with Lewis and a few other people and have a few drinks, and he'll get a little looser, and he'll feel better about the world. Um, one team that's really going to want to forget about this weekend, Jawad, is the Alpine team. So we'll talk about both of them. Esteban Ocon finishes 14th. Fred Alonso, one of the two retirements, and it was on lap six. Uh, Fred, who they played his video from 2005 on the F1, um, on the F1 channels, talking about his great performance holding off M. Schumacher um, in the in the Renault back then. This year, not so much for. <laughs> Fernando Alonso, he really didn't have anything to show for his weekend here. And a throwaway weekend um, after a couple of solid, stronger weekends in the past two races. So unfortunate uh, as they're battling in the midfield, of course, to kind of stay in contention to get a double non-point score and not really be a factor at all uh, with both either driver, both with... um, no, Ocon and Alonso. Yeah, we're talking about um, Michael Schumacher fighting with Fernando Alonso back in 2005. It was actually his son, Mick Schumacher, who was the reason for um, Alonso's eventual terminal damage on the Alpine. I think um, when Schumacher spun early on, uh, he kind of clipped the side pod of um, the Alpine and then we saw when he was um, coming down the straight wheel-to-wheel with Lewis Hamilton, that it just flew off. So, um, And then there was talk that they could possibly get get it repaired and get him back out. A um, whole lot of good that would have done anyway. Um, but, yeah, three races now for Alonso where he has either not finished or not scored any points, considering the potential of that car that we've seen. Um, Ocon in this one, you know, he was running as high as 11th and then had that unsafe release in the pits, which copped him a five second um penalty, which got added to his time at the end of the race. And yeah, ended up finishing down in what 14th or 15th it was. And unfortunate for Ocon because it's um ruined a run of um, points finishes he's had going back to Sao Paulo last year. So he's been pretty consistent, has uh, Esteban. But, yeah, it's been a throwaway weekend, like you say, Phil, for Alpine this weekend. And (laughs) crucial again when we're talking about that Constructors' Championship battle because, um, you know, it's, it's good points that they potentially threw away. But... We know that the cars got pace. They just need to hook it up, you know, make sure they qualify in the top 10 and just have a clean race and, um, you know, just move it on to the next one. And um, hopefully things go more to plan rather than it being Alpine again for Alpine. Alpine, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one there. Yeah. Um, in regards to that, yeah, I figure they'll be able to recover uh, power unit situation otherwise and with other things. Fred is 18 points behind his teammate right now, um, only has scored two points so far this year. Um, so the talk about what is Fernando Alonso going to do, 
he did say a couple of years ago, it was about 2022. Um, well, if the plan L plan was 2022 is supposed to be his year, that plan ain't working out so good there, Fred. Um, we'll go with the guy that, um, that uh, Paul DeResta insisted on butchering his name all weekend, uh, Joe Guan Yu, uh, uh, there, Tom, uh, unfortunate weekend, had accidents. He wasn't in the best pace, but he's a rookie. So you kind of have to throw it away in that sense. It looks worse in the sense that his veteran teammate got fifth. But, um, you know, learning curve there for him. Unfortunate weekend for Zhou Guan Yu. But he has shown earlier this year that he has the pace and the ability and he could help um, his veteran teammate as he goes along, but not this weekend. Yeah, uh, this is the first time that I think we saw... um, Shogun Yu where he actually looked like a rookie because his first two or three weekends were pretty solid if unspectacular but that's what that's what you'd want from, from a rookie um, the sorry when the cats just walked in um, the crash with uh, with Dazzly in the in the sprint that reeked of uh Inexperience to me um, that you know, that that was a very rookie error, as the saying goes. Um, he'll learn from it. He'll 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 learn about um, you, know, you know tracks, you know sort of like your way where you give space. You know Alonso always likes to leave the space, as we know. Um, you know, so it, it's something that he'll pick up on. Yeah, a bit bit disappointing from from this weekend. Sorry, come here. Um, Try and be a cat dad. Uh, you know, yeah, disappointing in that sense. Um, he had a, he had an all right qualifying on Friday. Again, is something that he'll pick up on. Um, he's got a good car underneath him, so it's not like he's driving around in a house. Um, if he doesn't score any points, sort of like for the rest of the season, I think then questions may need to be asked. But we're only four races in, or five or how many races? We're four races in, yeah, four races in. Um, yeah, so he's uh, yeah, he's doing all right. You know, you know, didn't have a brilliant day today. Um, yeah, okay, he's he stayed or he overtook the TC because um, because uh, he because uh, Guan Yu started from the pit lane. Um, yeah, I mean he overtook the TC, but that's like saying, "Well, then you woke up and remembered to breathe." Um, so you know, take from that what you will. Um, yeah, you know, he wasn't too far off Ocon, um, but no, it, it turns into a bit of a race of attrition for him. Um, but no, like you said, Phil, he's young, he's a rookie, it's his fourth season, and the jump from F2 to F1 is enormous. So, yeah, so, yeah, so, so we'll, we'll, we'll give him, we'll give him a bit of credit. Um, he showed good signs so far. I'll, we'll give him that because I was very skeptical of him coming in. But no, he's 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 doing he's doing okay so far. Solid, but not spectacular, which is I think what they want. And trying to generally keep it clean, which unfortunately wasn't able to yesterday. But uh, keep it clean, bring it home, get get the data, get the time in the seat. Um, that's really what they're looking for. 
Uh, the last person we're going to talk, oh, we have two more actually. Uh, Daniel Ricardo, Aaron, um, yes, first lap incident, um, took him out. And then his teammate, this is yet another example. This is something that happened last year too, where Daniel Ricardo would have early incidents in the race, get involved and be left in the back while his teammate goes and uh, does really well. Uh, this is yet another example of that for Daniel Ricardo gets involved in the old Carlos Sainz situation. And um, that basically ruins his day. Um, and then he was, that was the end of it. Once he gets one, one little thing happens to Daniel Ricardo, he goes straight to the back and uh, that's where he was today. 18th place while his teammate finished third. So not a good look for old Danny Rick. No, on, on paper, it doesn't look very good, does it? Um, and then you see that he's the guy who's knocked Carlos Sainz out of the race. Um, you probably have the Tifosi chasing him all the way back to Woking with pitchforks. But um, I'm sure he'll be all right. It, it was a bit of a silly mistake. Uh, just a little bit of a slide off the curb. And then it's just, just one of those things. It wasn't really his fault because in wet conditions you can sometimes get away with putting the wheel on the curb but today he didn't and Carlos Sainz paid the price and it did wreck Daniel's race to be honest but if you look at where Lando put the McLaren and the form that Ricardo had in the sprint where he was pretty much untroubled to be honest I have no doubt in saying that had that incident not happened then you're probably looking at a fifth and sixth for um, McLaren. Um, and that's, bef- that's assuming that Leclerc doesn't make that mistake that he made at Variante Alta. So from, from there, you, you'd have to say that he's relatively on par with Lando, having followed him home in uh, Australia and in the sprint. And it's just one small mistake that's kind of ruined his race. Um and he wasn't alone in the fact that he couldn't make progress from the back. You know, we've spoken about Hamilton. We've spoken about others' drivers. The whole DRS situation was a bit crazy, to be honest. But even that, I don't think would have rescued his weekend or his race from there because he was just too far back. And it's just so tricky to overtake it, Miller. Yeah, it's an unfortunate byproduct of the track. It's part of why they didn't race there for many years. Um, pandemic has brought this track back in, but it's the same track that it was prior to them not being on the calendar. Um, the only difference now is that they have DRS. Um, otherwise, and they've made, they, they took out a chicane before they get to the front straightaway. Um, basically the same track and they couldn't overtake back in the day. Still can't overtake now. Um, so it is what it is with that. Unfortunately, it's not the greatest track. Um, good history, but it's not a great track for theoretical racing or passing. Of course, the last person we'll talk about, Jawad, is um, Carlos Sainz. On the weekend that he gets his um, extension, a la Esteban Ocon last year, um, getting an extension um, after a brutal Australian Grand Prix, uh, a brutal Emilia Romagna Grand Prix, albeit at the expense of um, Daniel Ricciardo, um, crashed in qualifying. 
um, made it back to be in the top five at the start after the sprint recovery, but then nothing to show for it this weekend. Um, two weeks in a row where Carlos Sainz has not shown the poise that has been a part of what his career has been. He's generally been more controlled, more poised, not akin to make those kind of mistakes. But these last couple of rounds have not been in his favor in that sense. Um, and we have to, and when you consider your teammates a world championship leader, and he also made mistakes, uh, brutal uh, sort of weekend for Ferrari um, on the takeaway relative to their big rivals. Yeah, well, hopefully it doesn't mean that um, his season has already started to unravel. Um, like you say, Signs is someone who everyone knows for his poise and very, you know, minimal in making mistakes throughout his career. He's super consistent um, in his early days at Toro Rosso and then at Renault and McLaren, you know, I mean, that's the one thing, you know, <laughs> one thing as a McLaren fan I miss so much is having Carlos Sainz in the team and, you know, was super envious when um, he got picked up by Ferrari. But um, like you mentioned, Esteban Ocon getting the contract extension last year and then having a horrible run of form. Hopefully it also means that a win is around the corner for, for Carlos. And I know we've all predicted at some point this season, um, whether it was in Australia or this weekend, that we might see him finally break through for that win. It's just, you know, wrong place at the wrong time, which has been unfortunate. And in this instance, especially, you know, um, you know, it was deemed a racing incident, whatever. Um, uh, Ricardo goes in to apologise to science after the race, I mean, no amount of apologies going to, you know, make it any better. You know, what should have been his weekend to to get a solid result, bounce back from the disaster that Australia was for him. But, you know, what's this going to do for his confidence? We've not really seen science um, in a position like this before where his results on the track have has meant that he's, you know, had no points for the last two races. He hasn't even gone beyond the first lap, let alone in the last two races. So how does he bounce back there for Miami? Um, and just psychologically too, because a lot of chat around that, you know, he's going to be the number two. He's, you know, the Rubens to to Michael and, and the Valtteri to, to Lewis or whatever. Um and yet, you know, I feel it's too early to already be putting him into that number two role. I mean, science, we know him as this consistent driver who will score the points. There'll be um, the Constructors' Championship, which, you know, he helped McLaren with, you know, a couple of years ago. He helped Ferrari with last year as well to beat his old team, McLaren, to third in the championship. So, yeah, I feel like it's too early to to do that. But then at the same time, these these non-race um, finishing results are really hurting that image. So um, I just hope that, yeah, Miami is a much smoother weekend, even if it is just, you know, finishing the race, finishing top five or whatever, or if he gets on the podium, great. But, yeah, just something to get his confidence back up because we don't want him to just, spiral and then you know for it to be a disaster for the rest of the year and then suddenly we um 
end up putting him in that position that uh, Bottas found himself in, unfortunately, for the remainder of his Mercedes career. Yeah, it's part of, I guess, the greater discussion that we've had today among certain drivers where, yeah, it's been a couple of races. It's very early, um, you know, 23 race calendar, biggest ever. A lot of time to recover, but there's also a lot of time for it to go go really far down into the depths of despair. We have to see where this goes. We have two weeks before Miami, and then after that, a a further two weeks to Catalonia and a back-to-back with, of course, the great Monaco Grand Prix. So this month of May coming up, I mean, of course, it's big here with Indianapolis um, and in motorsports in general, but in Formula One, there's three races in the month of May, and they're going to be key. I think um, in regards to a lot of drivers and a lot of teams and what they have to look at. I mean, Ferrari and Red Bull are set for the most part, but Carlos Sainz has to be there with uh, Charles Leclerc uh, so that they can get this, this constructors because now they've made up a ton of points here this weekend, um, Red Bull, and they've cut that gap down a single digits. So that's something that we will be keeping track of here um, on the Grid Talk podcast. So it's that time. Uh, give the gentlemen their time to go and promote their stuff. And I'll promote myself at the end uh, after everybody else goes. So, Tom, uh, let us know where we can find you and your content. Yes. Yeah, so, I'm part of the Everything F1 team. You can find us across all your favorite social media platforms uh, with the handle at join EF1. Uh, we have Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok. Apparently, that's the thing. Not that you'll ever find me on there. Uh, Twitter, again, not that you'll ever find me on there because I don't have an account. Um, yes, and then our website is everythingf1.com where we do race reviews. I'm um, starting a series of somewhat unpopular opinions, should we say, because I think it's fair to say I have a couple. Um, not that anybody's noticed. Um, and finally, last but by no means least, we have our podcast, the Everything F1 podcast. Uh, it's, it's a nice midweek podcast. Uh, we have all sorts of guests on. Um, so coming up this uh, coming up in a few weeks, we have, uh, we have Sabre Cook from the W Series coming on. Uh, we had Callum Eilat on the other week. Um, we've had team principals. We've had uh, we've had some journalists. We've had Lawrence Beretta on before. Um, we've had Ed Store on a few times from from the race. Yes, uh, so go check that out. It's on you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, uh, Pocket Cast, Omni Studio, Amazon, our websites, anywhere basically. Um, Aaron, where can we go and find you and your work? Uh, so I uh, make the Five Red Lights F1 podcast, which you can find on YouTube and on any good uh, podcast platform. Uh, I have a website, which is uh, fiveredlights.wixsite.com forward slash 5RLpodblog, where you can find my predictions ahead of the, uh, the weekends uh, and a few pieces that I write on uh, just how I feel about Formula One. And I've also just started writing for F1 Chronicle. So you can check out my uh, race report uh, from today. And I've been doing, I've been covering the whole weekend for the website. So uh, you check out my articles there. 
Yep, F1 Chronicle, um, and probably you could get on George's site, sportlightpro.com as well. So cheap plug since I'm theoretically George on this episode, um, written on there. So um, great websites, uh, great content. I want to go and catch Tom. I mean, Tom, of course, he's uh, quite humble in his uh, great opinions. Um, They are quite interesting and great, and they kind of remind me of me. So it would be interesting if the two of us actually did a show. Um, how saw how spicy it would get, um, Aaron. Of course, I I basically was looking at your Twitter deal this weekend to keep up with information. He's always on top of it, and so another great source. Um, plenty of great sources here, including Jawad, um, who brings the Aussie perspective too. So we get that. Um, where can we go and find your stuff, buddy? Uh, yeah, so um, I've got the Hit the Apex podcast, which I do race uh, reviews mostly and talk about other motorsports, chiefly supercars here in Australia as well. Um, and yeah, you can find our Twitter account at Hit the Apex Media, but also there's a link tree which will take you through to my Instagram to my um, writing profile on the raw.com.au for whom I which, for whom which I was accredited for the Australian Grand Prix a couple of weeks oh. ago. So that was a great experience too. And yeah, um, that's that's about it. Yeah, having that opportunity to go to the race and actually be there and have those be in in with the the other writers be in that media room. That's a feeling that I, I'll always remember. I still have all my lanyards, press lanyards over there. I haven't hung them up since we redid our, our room over here, but we will be doing that shortly. It'll probably end up here or here. One of those places um, in the next uh, few episodes, you can find me on the grip strip podcast. Uh, we're on anywhere. You can basically find podcasts, um, Apple, uh, I can go and bring it up. I should bring it up. The professional one would bring it up, um, but I'm not professional, as you can tell, the way I've done this today. Uh, find us on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Podbean Pandora. Uh, you can find my website at philipgmatthew.com. Uh, Josh Fine and I, at JP Huffine on Twitter, you sailor two on Twitch. He does um, iRacing streams. He runs uh, IndyCar, NASCAR, stuff like that. So we talk about all things motorsports. We talk about Formula One a lot, of course. F two, F three, any type of motorsport really. Um, as long as it goes fast, we generally talk about it on the Grip Strip Podcast. So hope that you can go and listen to us too. Uh, plenty of great takes. Um, I was quite subdued today for multiple reasons. Um, uh, but if you really want to hear the real me, um, you want to hear me when I'm a guest on the show, on this show or on, uh, the Gripshire podcast. So with that, we thank you, uh, for the people that did listen, uh, we're on the YouTube live stream. We thank you for listening to that. Um, I have to do this here. Grid talk is available on YouTube. Most episodes are recorded live, like right now, as well as Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Music, Verbal, Omni Studio, and Pocket Cast. You just have to search Formula One Grid Talk for our back catalog of shows, now 190 shows, with previews and reactions to qualifying and race results. 
Uh, please consider supporting the channel on Patreon so we can get mics, lights, and better recording equipment. And you can get your hands on some official Grid Talk merchandise on f1chronicle.com backslash store. Uh, George usually is uh, wearing the kit. So if you want to go and see that, definitely, or wear that, wear the t-shirts, hoodies, you can go and get them over there. Also, make sure to subscribe so you're the first to know when each new episode is out. Um, that's whether it's on on the podcast side or on the YouTube side. And they're always great to listen to. You get lots of information and get lots of great takes. We'll be back, we'll be back uh, next week with the preview for episode 191 of the Grid Talk podcast to preview the Miami Grand Prix. Um for that, for the guys, thank you all for um, contributing and uh, helping me out today on uh, having to go and sub in for the great Ruby. Uh, thank you all, and thanks to everybody for listening to the Grid Talk podcast. We will uh, see you next time for the preview of the Miami Grand Prix. Goodbye.